Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains themselves, but I have not love, then I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. And love suffers long. And love is kind. And love does not envy. And love does not parade itself. And love is not puffed up with self-importance. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own way. Love is not provoked to anger. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. You may be seated. Why did Paul write 1 Corinthians 13? He wrote 1 Corinthians 13 because... There were people getting together in the church at Corinth, having communion, and they were doing it wrong. Oh, they looked like they were doing it right. They probably had their men sitting up on the front pew like we do, and and these men will be very orderly, and they'll get, uh, uh, you'll see, there's a little way in which Chuck Brady, the chairman of Deacons, Chuck, stand up for a second. People need to know who you are. This is Chuck. Turn around so they can see your face. It's Chuck Brady, the chairman of our Deacons. Chuck and I are going to, I mean, we're very orderly. When we do communion, I shook it up a little bit the earlier hour. Usually Chuck 
uh, passes the, the elements out from that side, and I pass them out from this side. I said, Chuck, I want you, I want you to pass them out from that side. Let me pass them out from that side. Oh, my goodness. You, you, uh, heaven started quaking a little bit. It was a little bit. I know. Rex Pulley almost didn't take communion because he was so upset. The, the church at Corinth, they looked like they were doing communion right, but Paul said, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. The reason they got it wrong is because they were failing at the core ingredient of the Christian faith, and that is to love one another. So, li- listen to how Paul described it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's always good to read Scripture, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Begin verse 17. Paul says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, get this, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come to eat together in one place, you're doing something, but it is not the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and so one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, get this, do you despise the church of God? And shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's another way of saying, when we take communion, we're proclaiming the gospel. Now, verse 27. Therefore, he said, now based upon the fact that communion is so important because we're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes, therefore... Whoever eats this bread (coughs) or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man so examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He's talking about the church. You're not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak among you, and many are sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now, wait for one another is a big picture there. He's saying, hey, listen, love one another. Waiting for one another is a picture of this love, this sacrificial, self-giving love. He's saying, when you come together... Wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order 
when I come. So in verse uh, chapter 11, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's presenting the problem. Here's the problem. Worship is out of whack because you are treating the Lord's Supper as something that belongs to you, but it belongs to God. This is not our meal. This is Christ's meal. And he's given to us to celebrate the gospel. So in chapter 12, he starts talking about spiritual gifts, and he, and he details what spiritual gifts are all about. Again, he's educating the church. You say, you think you've got it all together because you're so spiritually gifted. And in part, you're right. You are spiritually gifted. And here are the spiritual gifts. But at the end of chapter 12, he says, but let me show you what? A more excellent way. And that more excellent way is love. To love one another. Paul was simply saying that the way we demonstrate love should flow from the powerful picture of how God has loved us. And when we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what communion is all about, and we're focusing on this love that God has displayed toward us that we should also display toward others. The reason this was so important to Paul is because love uh, was getting the short end of the stick in the church of Corinth. And because they were failing at loving one another, they were distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you hear the verse, first three verses of chapter 13? If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give my body to be burned, I give all my stuff to the poor. If I have faith to remove mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. I can have all knowledge. I can know all the mysteries that there are to know. But if I don't have love, then I am zero. Guys, when we come to communion, we need to focus not only upon how God has loved us, and we're going to talk about that in a second, We don't just focus on how God has loved us, but we must also focus on our relationships with one another, especially in this church. Jesus said it this way. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. So as you take the elements here in a few moments, we're going to pass them out. And as you take the elements, I want you to think not only about how God has loved you through Christ. And again, we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to celebrate that. I love to celebrate that. But as you take the elements of the communion, will you reflect on how well you are loving others? specifically intentionally. See, some of us, we are are, are constantly either saying bad things, thinking bad things, treating people with disrespect, demeaning them. We're holding and harboring bitterness against people. We're treating them with contempt. We we treat people as if they're dogs or dirt under our shoe, and and we say that we're mature followers of Christ, and I would say, no, you're not. You're an infant that needs to grow up in Christ. You need to repent your sin. 
before you take communion. Remember what Paul wrote in chapter 11. He said, before you take communion, examine yourself. And examine yourself in relation. He was writing not about some Vegas-type lifestyle people were living. He was writing about how the church, members in the church, were treating other members in the church in a poor way. And because they were treating another member of the church in a poor way, they were eating and drinking judgment on themselves. You see this? Friends, this isn't, this isn't something that we need to skate over. So let's focus in. How am I loving others? And if you cannot, if you're not doing well, and it may just be one relationship or it may be many relationships, but if you're not doing well, if you're running your mouth off about other people, treating them with contempt and disrespect, you're not doing well, period. And it needs to begin in your heart, repentance and confession. Can I just say this? I, I'm, I'm probably smart enough not to say stuff out loud. Because I have a lot of ears listening to what I'm saying. But do you know what? If I'm thinking in my head, and I'm harboring it in my heart, and I can't repent that sin, then I shouldn't take communion. Guys, this is serious. Do you agree? I mean, this is serious. So we need to do a better job of loving one another. I, I think you're a loving people. Y'all have always been loving. I, people, I was talking to somebody that uh, was a guest of ours uh, uh, two months ago. I was talking to him on the phone, and he said, you know what? This is the most loving people I've ever encountered. I, I'm telling you, you're loving. But none of us have arrived. And some of us have refused to even take one step forward. Today's the day to start. And if you can't, don't take communion. We have these two elements to remind us of God's great love. See, here's the thing. Love is the gospel. We want to know what love is. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. John writes, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. Beloved, if God has loved us in this way, that's how we're supposed to love one another. Look it up. 1 John 4, 10. It'll tell you just what I just said. Almost verbatim. This is love. Love is the gospel. So when we act like the church at Corinth, in the church, in this body of believers, when we behave like the church at Corinth, creating divisions and factions among us because we're not loving one another, when we're not putting into practice the principles of 1 Corinthians 13, it's not that we're just having a, having a, a tiff with another member. Friends, we're doing dishonor to the body of Christ, and we are bringing shame to the gospel. We're unraveling what the gospel is, is supposed to share and show. 
When Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. When he added in verse 35 of John 13, that's John 13, 34 and 35. When he added in verse 30, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Friends, he's telling us that it is not a minor thing for us to be captured in diseased relationships with one another. That's not a small thing. Paul said, we're going we're to eat and drink judgment on ourselves if we don't fix it. So the question is, how well are you loving others? Before you take communion, can you set your mind and your heart right? Here's what always helps me. And I struggle with this too. I mean, I, look, I struggle, with, I struggle with people. Nobody in this church, but I struggle with people. I, I, mean, I do. I struggle. There are times when, when I get all, you know, bent out of shape about certain things. You know, I, it happens to me. It doesn't happen a lot. It really doesn't. I think God gives a special grace. Honestly, and this is not a joke. This is true. I think God gives a special grace to a pastor. Because, because without that special grace, we'd be fighting everybody. I mean, the truth is, I wake up in the morning knowing that I'm disappointing I tell Edie, 100 people, not just her. I'm not just disappointing her. I'm disappointing 100 other people today. I understand that to be true. And, and so it doesn't upset me as much when you get upset with me. I know I'm not meeting your expectations. I understand that. I want to help. Let's help through that. But there are days when I, I, I mean, I, not that I would punch anybody in the nose, but I want to. <laughs> Am I right? Y'all, come on. Let's just, we're family, right? Let's just talk truth. I mean, I'd like to knock some of people's teeth out. Again, nobody in this hour. It's all, they're in the other hours of worship. <laughs> and they're at the, they're at the, I won't tell you which one. Y'all start coming and see if you can pinpoint who they are. Um, I mean, we, we, we have problems with people. There's no doubt about that. So one of the ways that helps me love them the way I'm supposed to, the 1 Corinthians 13 way, the, the, re, the way that I do that is I focus on the gospel. I focus on what Jesus has done for me. Do you realize that every morning we need to focus in on what God has done through us, done for us through Christ? You want to know how to start that journey? You want to know what the gospel, where the gospel we can look at, place, and this is going to show me what God has done? Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm so happy to see the, uh, I'm, uh, y'all sitting together, and he's not sitting off somewhere else. I'm glad y'all are sitting here. Charles, thank you. She, she was worried about you not sitting with her. <laughs> he sings in the choir. She uh, plays in the orchestra. And so orchestra is here, and so she sits over here. And Charles, he, he's in the choir, and so he comes down that way. And, and instead of making a scene like I'm just now doing, making a scene, sorry, I apologize, <laughs> He sits over here, and she sits over here, and today they get to sit together. It's so precious. Isn't that? They're, they're my favorite people. They are. Uh, so at, where was I? I got lost. Uh, uh, well, Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2. So and I, and, and when I get, to get up in the morning, I want to focus in and remember the way I used to be. You remember how you used to be? Used to be apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But you were dead in your trespasses and sin. 
in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, 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 who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Do you know how we used to be? We were dead. We were the original walking dead. There was no song of satisfaction in our soul. We were each one walking along our own boulevard of broken dreams. And we were walking alone. We needed hope. We needed help. But we were dead and we could not help ourselves. Not only were we dead, but we were enslaved. We were in chains. We, we needed rescue. We were shrinking and cowering in the shadows of our own uh, cell of sin. We were shackled to um, this, this hopelessness and despair because of our sin. We were enslaved and we couldn't break free. There was no hope for us in breaking free. The devil, the prince of the power of the air, he was directing our course toward a certain destiny and that destiny was as children of wrath headed for judgment, headed for destruction, headed for hell. I wake up in the morning, guys, I want to remember that. I want to remember how I used to be. Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God. Let me start. Hey, you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, uh, who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, just as the others but God. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved. Now, here's a picture of love. God intercedes and intervenes in our own deadness. And he sends Jesus to be the payment price for our sin. Not because we were good. Not because we were cute young people. Not because we had charisma, not because we were seeing the right people or going to the right places. The reason God sent Jesus to break the chains of our own sin and make us alive together in Christ, the reason he did that is because of his mercy and his love. God's rescuing love invades the scene. This is the picture of love. In this is love. Not that we love God. Not that we did anything right. Not that we somehow earned his love. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved me, even when I was dead, he made me alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you've been saved. Now, there's the love of God. That's the gospel. He took me where I used to be. And he made me alive. But not by virtue of what I had done or would do. By grace you have been saved. You see, here's the thing. Here's how that translates into our relationships. Many of us will only love in a conditional way. If you're good enough, I'll love you. But if you're not good enough, I won't love you. If you meet my expectations, then I'll love you. If you act right, then I'll love you. If you behave correctly, then I'll love you. If, if, if you make me happy, then I'll love you. But that's not love. And this is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. God made us alive together in Christ Jesus, not by virtue of us being better or good or nice or kind, but by virtue of his grace. And we need to be a people of grace. Friends, if, if, if we treat people with disrespect and we demean them, and we're not patient with them, we're not kind with them, if we're rude to them, then we're distorting the gospel that has saved us. And if, if you can't give up that, if you can't repent of it today, then drop the wafer in the cup and put it down. Do not take communion. I remember what I used to be. And I focus on how God, because of his great love, because of his uh, great mercy, because of his great love with which he loved me, made me alive together in Christ Jesus. But that's not where it ends. Not only did he make me alive together with Christ Jesus, but he he raised me up together. And and he sat me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might uh, display his grace and the exceeding riches of his kindness toward me, toward us who believe. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not only do I see where I was, but I also see where I'm going. Here's hope, unveiled, unleashed, unfurled in my life. The gospel says, not only did Jesus pick me up out of the miry pit of my own sin, give me life even though I was a walking dead zombie, but he set my feet upon a path that would take me as certain to heaven. Friends, today I've got to tell you, I know when I walk through the dark veil called death and that specter rises over me, I need not fear. I will not fear. I do not fear because I will pass through death into glorious light because Jesus will take me by the pearly gates, along the crystal sea, on the, on the golden streets, into the very throne room of God, and I will spend eternity in the blissful joy of heaven. I know it. Don't feel sorry for me when I die. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because I have my reward. And that's going to be a good day. Even if it is this day, it's a good day. So I don't have to be worried about that. That's my hope. And I'm as certain of that hope as me taking my breath right now. I know it's it's going to happen. There is no doubt. Why? Because I trusted Jesus in this. I've trusted him to uh, take care of my past, and he has. And I'm trusting him with my future, and he's taking me there. What about the here and now? See, the gospel not only shapes... Oh, by the way, here's the thing. Do you wait to give reward when people behave in a certain way? Do you have the kind of love that is so conditional that um, I'm going to give you my love, I'm going to treat you, with respect, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind to you, and I'm going to be patient with you, only if you do what I want you to do. Do you realize that the only reason I'm getting to heaven is, has nothing to do with me? I mean, zero to do with me. It's not, because, it's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm getting better at being good. 
It's not because I'm religious. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's none of those things. The only reason I'm getting to heaven is because of Jesus Christ, who is the epitome of God's great love. And yet we withhold love because people don't behave in a way that we want them to behave. And we say we're mature followers of Christ. And I say, no, you're not. It's time to repent your sin. If you can't repent your sin, do not take communion. Don't drink judgment on yourself. And please, have enough respect for the body of Christ that you won't drink judgment on us. Again, Paul was not talking in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. He's not talking about some Vegas lifestyle. He's talking about how the church was not loving each other. So today, as we take communion, let's focus in on the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is love. That love is the gospel. Here it is for us to reflect on so that we might live the gospel every day of our lives. And we live the gospel every day of our lives by, lives by how we love others. There's more to it than that, but that is what Paul is saying in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 13, he's saying that's why, that's why we have this love stuff. And so that we can show off Verse 7 of Ephesians 2, verse 7, so that we might show off the, the grace and the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us who believe. Friends, today is the day for us to make a commitment to love one another. And some of us, some of us, you don't need to take communion. What you need to do is you need to get up from where you are and you need to go and you need to get right with whoever you need to get right with. You might say, well, it's their fault that we're in a fight. Don't play that game. Put on your big boy pants and go to them the same way Jesus came to you. If Boy, can you imagine how empty heaven would be if Jesus waited for those who offended him to come to him and make it right? There would be zero people there. Some of you don't need to take communion. You need to make it right with somebody that you have it wrong with. Today's the day. Now is the time. 